Last week, I had an encounter with an unbeliever that impacted my life probably more than most encounters with believers that I've ever had. Called up my cousin. Bob Weiner had encouraged each and every one of us to spend intentional time with an unbeliever every week. Challenged us that how are people going to get saved around you if you don't spend any time with unsaved people? And so I, I was challenged. I thought, you know what? I'm going to start with my family members. All of us have family members that don't know Jesus. So I thought about my cousin, and, and he and his two brothers, I've known them to be godless their entire lives. You know, I mean, my perspective of them, that is. They don't want anything to do with the Lord or the ministry or Jesus or church. To them, it's all just a bunch of hogwash. But I thought, you know, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to be intentional about just spending time with them. And I had this, this you know, this was my strategy. I'm going to call them up. I'm going to say, let's have lunch. And I'm going to sit down and have lunch with them and shoot the breeze and do that for maybe a couple months. And then hopefully the Lord will open the door for me to say something about Jesus to him. So I called him up. Now, this man is 51 years old, and I've never had lunch with him before in my life. And he lived on 47th and Adeline for several years. Just moved to Antioch. I said, can we have lunch this week? He said, sure, let's do it. He came to the office and picked me up on Thursday we went over to Elephant Bar. We sat down at the table. He said, how are you, Ben? I said, I'm good. How are you? He said, you know what? I'm struggling. I said, why are you struggling? He said, because I desperately want to know the Lord. He said, but I've got all of these roadblocks in my path. My dad spoke all of this nonsense to me from the time I was born. You see, my dad could quote the Bible chapter and verse, but he quoted it to me chapter and verse in order to prove to me that it was all hogwash, that none of it was real. And my father just inserted all of this junk in my heart, and I can't seem to get around it, and I can't seem to get past it, but I want desperately to get past it. He said, you know what? My son, my eight-year-old son asks me all the time, Daddy, why don't you go to church? And I can't even answer him because I don't want to say, son, it's because I don't even know if God is real or not. I, I just can't get over all of these intellectual struggles I got. I don't know why God would tell Israel to go in and kill everybody and to kill even women and children. I just can't get past that stuff. And I don't want to say that to my son because I don't want to speak all of that stuff into his life that my dad spoke into my life. But at the same time, I desperately need to know that God is real. He said, and so somebody said, you need to read the Bible. So I went and got a Bible and I read it from cover to cover and I was more messed up afterward than before. He said, you know what messed me up? Genesis, just the first few chapters of Genesis. This dude Cain kills his brother Abel. He said, now check it out, man. It's me, my moms, my pops, and my brother. That's it. On the earth, on the planet. Me and, man, if that's all I got on the planet, why would I even think about killing my brother? He said, but not only that, it gets worse. This man, Cain, was in direct fellowship with God. Now, how can you be in direct fellowship with God and still think about killing your brother? He said, that just messed me up, man. I can't get past it. And then... He said, you know what? Somebody told me I just need to surrender myself. So I went home. I got on my knees in my room. I said, here I am, Jesus. Come take me. I'm ready to do this thing. Let's get on with this. I'm sick and tired of living life the way I've been living it. Come take me now. If you're real, here I am. You want me to give up everything? I surrender everything. Money, play, everything. You can take everything. I don't care. I just need to know that you're real. Come. And he started crying. He said, I sat there on my knees for hours. I didn't feel nothing. He said, finally, I got up and I said, 
I guess today's not the day. He started crying. He said, Ben, do you know how hard it is to be me? He said, every day I wake up and I'm afraid and I have anxiety and I struggle because I know it all depends on me. He said, Ben, it must be awesome to be you. You must wake up every morning without any fear. You must wake up and just smile and say, God's got me. Jesus has got me. Nothing can get to me today. And if anything comes at me, Jesus is going to handle it. And it doesn't say, I'm not saying that you never struggle. What I'm saying is, even if you struggle, you're not even afraid to die. Because you know that Jesus has got you. He said, man, to be able to live without fear, that's what I want. That's what I want. He said, man, if you ain't got no fear of death, you got no fear. He said, that's what I want. He said, but you know what boggles my mind? My friends who actually know Jesus. He said, I'm not saying they're fake. A lot of them, I think they're real Christians. Like they're, they're really sincere. Like they really love Jesus. Like they've really met him. Like they really know he's real in their hearts. But the way they live, I'm like, how can you live that way and know him? He said, I got friends that'll be at the club on Saturday night, sipping a little bit, snorting a little bit, grinding on the ladies, and then'll be at church on Sunday morning going, this is the day. He said, I'm, he said I, got, I, got a, I got friends who are ministers, but they're the shadiest people you ever met before in your life. He said, I don't get that, man. He said, I'm not judging nobody. I'm not saying they're not real Christians. I just don't understand how you can be in fellowship with Almighty God and still live that way. And then he looked at me and tears welled up in his eyes again. He said, but I tell you what, when I do meet Jesus, when he shows me that he's real, when he comes into my life, I'm going to be all in. I'm going to be in it 200%. I'm going to serve him 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. He said, I'm not going to be half butted about it. You know, (laughs) I'm going to serve him with my entire life. He said, you're going to see it, man. And he said, and not only that, but when he does show me that he's real, I'm going to tell everybody I know about him. He said, I long to be able to sit down with my son and share the gospel with him. I long to be able to call my friends and say, he's real, man. He's real. He says, but I just got to meet him. I got to know he's real. Man, he's crying. I'm crying. I'm sitting there. He talked for an hour and a half. And I didn't say a word. And then it's not over. The waiter comes over. And he says, I'm sorry to interrupt. And he looks at me and he says, but every time you come in here, I overhear your conversations and it just totally, it moves my heart and he gets wells up. He says, cause I used to know the Lord when I was a little boy and I need to get back to the Lord. I'm sitting there thinking, man, revival is breaking out around me and I haven't even said a word. I was about to stand up in the restaurant and do an altar call right there. Who else here is longing to know the Lord? You know what dawned on me? Satan has sold us a bill of goods because he has convinced us that people who don't know Jesus don't want to know him. He's convinced us that the people out there that are outside of these four walls are godless. They don't want anything to do with God, that they've rejected Jesus Christ, that they're all God haters and probably Christian haters too. 
And because he's convinced us of that, he's convinced us to isolate ourselves and keep ourselves safe from that unbelieving, godless world. That's the greatest lie that the church has ever believed. You know what the truth is? Every man, woman, child, boy, and girl is starving, hungering, thirsting to know the Lord. They may not recognize that hunger. They may not recognize that thirst, but they want to know the Lord. Everybody wants to know God. God is for everyone, not just for Christians. But you know what also struck me about that day? Is that everything my cousin said to me about the way the Christian life should be had to do not with doctrine, not even with actions, but with feelings. Think about this. He said, Ben, it must be wonderful to be you. You must wake up in the morning with no fear, no anxiety, complete confidence, and complete joy. That is what probably characterizes your life, huh? That is, from his perspective, the Christian life was an emotional phenomenon, not a doctrinal phenomenon. He didn't say, you must wake up every morning and read the Nicene Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried on the third. You must wake up every morning and recite every doctrine that you believe to be true. He didn't say it was a a practical reality. You must wake up every morning and say, let me find an old lady and help her across the street. Let me do 10 good deeds today. That's what it means to be a Christian is I'm full of good deeds. You must feed homeless people every day. No, he said, you know why I want to know the Lord? Because I want to escape these feelings, this fear, this anxiety. This sense that it all rests on me. I want to escape this depression. I want to escape this fear. And I, and man, if this thing is real, if Jesus is the Son of God, if He bore all of my sins on the cross, if His divine power will provide for all of my needs according to His riches and glory, if He will actually give me everything necessary for life and godliness, if He will make me a child of God and an heir to the kingdom of God, then I will feel differently. I'll wake up in the morning feeling differently. That's what it'll mean to me. And I thought about it because we talk so much about feelings in the negative. Don't listen to your feelings. They're liars. Don't build your theology around your feelings. And that's true. You can't be led by your feelings. You walk by faith and not by sight. Something is not true because you believe it to be true. And something is not untrue because you believe it to be untrue. We are not governed by feelings, but we should be governing our feelings. In other words, something is not true because you feel it to be true, but you should feel it to be true because it's true. Are you hearing me? Now, the church historically, especially since the Reformation in the 1600s, has focused on what the church has called orthodoxy. Say orthodoxy. Orthodoxy Orthodoxy means right believing. Ortho means right. Doxy comes from doxa, which means glory. It has to do with what you believe. Right believing. Believing the right things about God. It's about Christian doctrine. The, the, the basic tenets of the historic Christian faith, which goes back to the Nicene Creed of 325. That is important. I believe it. Okay? That's absolutely important. That's foundational. However, it doesn't stop with orthodoxy. There's also orthoproxies, which is right action. So there's churches that that focus on orthodoxy, right believing. 
There's other churches that focus on orthopraxy, right action, doing the right things, fighting for justice, you know, taking a stand on the issues, doing the right thing, not just believing the right thing, but doing the right thing. But what tends to get left behind is orthopathy, right passion, that is right affections or right feelings. That is when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, your feelings should change. Your emotions should change. Not just your mind and your believing system. Not just your legs and your action system. But your heart and your feeling system. You should feel differently. Why? Because you have a relationship with God. And your relationship with God is not primarily a doctrinal relationship. Any more than my relationship with my daughter is a doctrinal relationship. You know, every night I've come to, I've grown to love putting my daughter to sleep. And I had to grow to love it because in the beginning I, I didn't love it. Why? Cause she was colicky and she would be screaming and hollering. And you know, I remember, you know, my wife and I would be up half the night taking turns, rocking her and she would just be screaming. Ah, no matter how much we patted her, rocked her, sang, we, you know, we'd be doing everything we knew how to do. And she, and then when she'd finally fall asleep, we just, Oh, thank the Lord. You know, and it would, you know, my wife and I used to rock paper scissors to see who would have to put her to bed the next night. You know what I mean? It was, uh, it was not fun. I remember my, the first time my brother Charles came and, and met Alethea. She was a couple months old. And uh, I said, here, why don't you put her to bed? He said, okay. He's looking and smiling. All right, great. And he takes her in his arms and goes in the room, turns off the light. Wah! She starts screaming and crying. I left him in there for about 10 minutes. And, uh, you know, 10 minutes can be an eternity when you're holding a screaming baby. Man, I went in there. He, he, looked, he looked so distressed. He looked, he looked like Kramer from Seinfeld. You know, holding this baby, you know, and so I took her, but a, a shift happened at a certain age where suddenly, and she's two and a half now, she loves it. You know, we, we have these intimate, deep times together at night. And so the nights when I put her to sleep, I'll take her in the room and read books. And it's cool. Cause a lot of times Sonny and I will go in to read books to her together and, and I'll read an English book and Sonny will read a Korean book. Then I'll read an English book and Sonny will read a Korean book, English, Korean, and she loves it, you know? And, uh, and then when it's time for me to put her to sleep, I'll say, okay, baby, that's enough books. It's time to go to sleep. And she'll say, will you tell me a story? I'll say, sure, I'll tell you a story. And she'll go, okay, I'll turn off the light. And she climbs up on her bed and turns off the light and jumps into my arms. And I put the blanket around her. And then I sit down in the rocking chair and I tell her a story. And, you know, when I tell her a story, I can tell how she's feeling because she squirms. And she grabs my neck and just buries her face in my neck. You know, and then she giggles a little bit. <laughs> you know what I mean? She loves it. And I always tell her a true story. I don't make it stuff up. I tell her about when she was born. You know, I say, 12 years ago, mommy and daddy got married. And they prayed and prayed and prayed. Lord, please send us Alethea. And eight years went by. And then suddenly Alethea came and she squirms, you know. <laughs> daddy will never forget the morning Alethea was born. It was a Friday morning. 9.27 a.m. She squirms. And when the doctors opened up mommy's tummy to take Alethea out, Alethea started screaming before they even got her out of the stomach, out of mommy's tummy. And she, she squeals, you know. And daddy picked up Alethea, and she couldn't even see daddy. You know, and I tell her these stories, and then I sing to her. Alethea, saranga. You know the song, right? And then she falls fast asleep in my arms, and I lay her down. There's so, such a depth of emotion that happens between us at that moment. And I realized she's nourished by that emotional exchange that happens between mommy 
and baby, daddy and baby. She's nourished by it. And I can tell when she's lacking it at, at a certain point in the day, she'll come climb up on me. If I'm sitting down working, she doesn't care. She'll climb up on my lap and climb up on my head and be, you know, climbing over my shoulders and she'll be stomping me with their feet. What she's saying is, daddy, I need your physical presence right now. I need physical contact. I need you to hold me right now. I need, I need to feel you close to me right now. She knows how to demand it. There would be something missing in her life if my physical presence wasn't there. What if I just sent her my word? What if I was not physically present in the home, but I sent tape recordings every day? Baby, play this for Alethea. She got my word every day, but not my presence. There would be something missing in her life because she doesn't just need my word. She needs my presence. You know, most believers live their life with just these tape recorded words from God in the Bible. But no presence. And I'm telling you that you were not created simply to hear words from a distant God. You were created to be held in the arms of a very present God. And on a day-to-day basis, she needs it every day. You know what? So do you and I. We need it every day. We need the presence and the power and the closeness of God. And we need to feel that presence and feel that closeness. Are we moved by what we see or we feel? No, but we should be able to move what we see and feel. Faith is not dependent upon feelings, but faith can change feelings. It starts off by us walking by faith and not by sight. But after we've walked by faith and not by sight, then suddenly we begin to see. Faith begins when you believe what you do not see, but it is perfected when you begin to see what you believe. You hearing me this morning? Now, I want you to know that this element of the presence of God, the living reality of the presence of God, the experiential presence of God is of utmost importance to God. God desires for you and I more than anything else that we would be close to him, that we would feel his presence on a daily basis, that we would encounter his presence and grow in our awareness of his presence. All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when they introduce Jesus to us, they introduce him to us not as Savior, which he is, But not as Lord, which he is, but as spirit baptizer. Watch this. Matthew chapter 3 verse 11. John the Baptist is speaking. He says, I indeed baptize you with water into repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Mark chapter 1 verse 8, John the Baptist again. I indeed baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Luke three sixteen, John the Baptist again. I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John one thirty three. John the Baptist says, I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus is introduced, the first thing that is introduced about him, the first thing that is said about him is he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In only one gospel is he introduced as the Lamb of God. One. But in all four, he's the Spirit baptizer. What I'm saying to you is that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is central to the identity of Jesus. Central to his messianic mission. 
not just to take away your sins, but to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. His mission is not accomplished until you are immersed in that word baptize, baptizo in the Greek. It means to immerse or to submerge. He will submerge you in the Holy Spirit. He will immerse you in the Holy Spirit. When we are talking about immersion in the Spirit, we are talking about the undeniable reality, the undeniably experiential reality of the manifest presence of God in the life of the believer. That is, the baptism in the Holy Spirit or the immersion in the Holy Spirit is when God immerses you in His manifest presence so that there's no denying it. God is here, and He is in me, and He is with me, and I am full of Him. It is the living awareness of the presence of God, and it is an overwhelming awareness of the presence of God. That is, the desire for, of God for each and every one of His sons and daughters is that they would be overwhelmingly and continually aware of His manifest presence. That's what it's all about. And when we talk about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, there's a little bit of resistance because people think we're just focusing on tongues. Tongues are wonderful. Listen, I want everybody to speak in tongues. It's biblical. Paul said, I would have you all to speak in tongues. Tongues is a powerful gift. Why? Because it gives you the power to edify yourself. Sometimes when I feel like I'm broken down, I have a power to build myself up by speaking in tongues. Sometimes my mouth doesn't know what to say, but the Holy Spirit knows what to say. Paul said, the Spirit helps in our weakness because we know not what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself begins to make intercession through us with groans that words cannot express. So when, the Holy, when I don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit knows what to pray through me. And he'll pray through me until he breaks down whatever wall is hindering me from coming into the manifest presence of God. But I'm not even just talking about tongues. Because you can speak in tongues and still feel empty. You can speak in tongues and still feel God is a million miles away. I'm talking about being overwhelmingly filled with the awareness of of the presence of God. And I'm saying to you that the objective of Jesus Christ is immersion in the spirit for every believer. And we must begin to adopt that objective for our own lives. When I have a personal time of prayer every day, when I pray, my objective is spirit fullness. That is, I don't stop praying until I feel the Holy Spirit break through and fill my heart. Until I am aware of the presence of God. Why? Because the goal, Paul says, walk in the Spirit. When he says walk in the Spirit, he means walk in the living awareness of the presence of the Spirit. Walk in the experiential awareness of the presence of the Spirit. And he says, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. He does not say spend your life trying to get freed from sin. But if you walk in the experiential awareness of the presence of the Holy Spirit, you cannot sin. <laughs> you ever been in a worship service where the presence of God came real heavy? I mean, you felt the presence of God super heavy at that moment. And did you feel any lust at that moment? Any greed? Any irritation? <laughs> We're seeking the wrong things. Lord, give me freedom for sin. No, give me more of the Holy Spirit. How about this one? Lord, I need more love. Romans 5, 5 says that the love of God is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That means that I don't need to pray for more love. I need to pray for more of the Spirit. You know what? Without the Holy Spirit in my life, I don't love you. Matter of fact, I don't like you. Without the Holy Spirit in my life, you get on my last nerve. 
But when the Holy Spirit comes in, the experiential awareness of the Holy Spirit, it is impossible for me not to love everybody. That is, I mean, you might get on my last nerve, but then I get the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I see you differently. I experience you differently because I'm experiencing God. In that moment, the love of God is poured into my heart, and I find that there's enough love there to love everybody, regardless of who you are. I don't pray, give me more love. I pray, give me more of the Spirit. I need to walk in the experiential reality of, of God's presence by the power of the Holy Spirit, and then I can't help but love everybody. How about this one? Boldness. I love this. Acts 4. Now, in Acts 4, they had a prayer meeting. And I'll tell you why they had a prayer meeting. You know, we're, we're getting ready to start 21 days of prayer tonight. And we need to understand the objective of every one of those prayer meetings. Prayer should not simply be a religious practice. I'm going to spend this much time with God. And as long as I log in that time, I think something happened in the heavens. Let me tell you something. Prayer should be purposive. Just like our gatherings for worship should be purposive. In Acts 4, they had a prayer meeting. Why did they have a prayer meeting? Because in Acts 3, Peter and John went to the gate beautiful at the temple. And the, the lame man was there. He was lame from his mother's womb. And they raised him up and he got healed. And he ran into the temple. And then Peter and John went in the temple. A crowd of thousands of people gathered. And Peter and John preached. And 5,000 more people were added to the church that day. And then the religious leaders of the time, they, I'm talking about the governmental presence, arrested them, threw them in jail, kept them there overnight, and the next night brought them out in front of the court and commanded them never to preach in the name of Jesus again on penalty of death. And they were bold. They said, you tell us whether it's better to obey God or you. So they sounded real gangster, right? But then it says in Acts 4, when they were let go, they went back to the church and they reported. I mean, imagine, imagine, okay, I'm preaching here Sunday morning. Jesus, love, Jesus, love, love. And all of a sudden, the police break in. The Emeryville police burst in, arrest me in the middle of the sermon. Take me to jail, throw me in a cell, keep me there overnight. Monday night, they bring me before the court. And the court says, if you ever preach in the name of Jesus again, we're going to kill you. And I say, will you tell me whether it's better to obey God or you? And they warn me, well, you, you just watch what happens if you preach again in that name. And they release me. I come back to Thursday Thunder. And, I, and everybody's here because everybody wants to know what the heck happened Sunday morning in the middle of your sermon. And I say, I know you're all wondering what happened. Here's the report. They arrested me because it's now illegal to preach in the name of Jesus. They took me and threw me in jail, kept me there overnight without explaining to me why I was there, brought me in front of the court, and warned me that if I ever preached in the name of Jesus again, or any of us, they'll kill us. And what does it say? It says, when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. That is, everybody said, we need a prayer meeting right now. Why? Because our boldness just went out the door. We're afraid. We're afraid. You know what? When fear rushes in, when you feel fear or anxiety of any kind, you know what you need? You need a prayer meeting. You need to get on your knees and start praying. You know what, what tends to happen is that we tolerate fear for far too long. So, oh, I've been, I've been so afraid for like two weeks now. 
Oh, I've been just wallowing in fear. Oh, help me. I'm so afraid for like a month. I've been walking. I hear people say, I've been walking in fear for years. Dude. (laughs) No. Don't tolerate long-term fear and anxiety in your heart when you feel it welling up. You go get in your prayer closet until God comes. But the church said, we better pray. And they prayed And it says, they cried out to God, Lord, you are God, the maker of heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in them, who by the mouth of your servant David has said, why do the nations rage and the kingdoms imagine a vain thing? And the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his Christ, against your holy servant Jesus, whom you've anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate have gathered together. You know, I mean, they're, they're just, I mean, they're going after it here. And then they end the prayer meeting by saying, Lord, now behold their threats. And grant to your servants boldness. Why are they saying grant us boldness? Because we're feeling fear. Listen, when they felt fear, they rose up and said, this ain't right. This ain't right. I'm not supposed to feel this. And so I'm not going to tolerate it. I'm going to pray until it breaks. They said, grant us boldness. And Acts 4.31 says, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. Our prayer meetings should not end until the place shakes, the spirit falls, and everyone gets filled with boldness and goes out preaching the word of God with boldness. You know why only 4% of Christians share their faith? Because 96% of Christians are filled with the punk spirit instead of the Holy Spirit. The opposite of boldness is cowardice. And if we've got no boldness to share the gospel, we are walking in the spirit of cowardice. And these people felt that cowardly spirit coming on them. All of us feel that temptation. It's, there's no condemnation. I'm not trying to break anybody down and say, oh, you bunch of cowards. That's not what it's all about. I'm saying that cowardly spirit comes to all of us. And we don't resist it just by giving ourselves a pep talk. I'm going to do this. No more fear. Look at myself in the mirror. You be confident, sir. Come on. Stop being so afraid. No. Pray. Pray. Pray till the Holy Spirit comes. Pray till you get some boldness. Pray until you, you you know, until the boldness of the Holy Spirit comes. Pray until you're filled with the word of God. That's the objective of every prayer meeting. You notice a lot of times we linger during worship. We exhort during worship. We push during worship. You know why? Because we, the objective of the time of worship is that we would all come into the experiential reality of the presence of God. That everybody would experience it. And when we feel that certain people are not entering into it, we get up and we start pushing. We don't want anybody to left out, be left out of it. We don't want anybody leaving this place saying, I didn't meet with God today. We want everybody to leave and say, man, I met with God today. I felt His power today. I was in His presence today. And you know what? That's not simply the goal for Sunday services and Thursday services. But the vision and the dream and the goal is that every son and daughter of this house that God would ever send to this house would live in the experiential reality of the presence of God each and every Every day, every day that your lives would be characterized by a sense of the presence of God. You'd wake up in the morning feeling the presence of God and you would walk through the day feeling the presence of God. And at night you'd fall asleep feeling the presence of God. And if at any time you don't, you get on your knees and you begin to pray and say, God, this is not right. Listen, we have to govern our feelings. When we feel the wrong thing, we got to take authority over it, but not take authority over it and start fighting. Lord, I come against frustration. No, no, no. Stop that. 
Just begin to reach for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come and fill me. Come and fill my heart. Come and fill my mind. Come and fill my awareness. Come and fill my space. Come and fill my home. Come and fill my children. Fill my car. Fill me. Fill me. Fill me. Fill me. As we begin to seek the experiential awareness of the Holy Spirit, when he comes into our lives, when he begins to manifest, he takes away all of that garbage. You hearing me this morning? The Holy Spirit also brings wisdom. You know, most of us say, man, if I only knew how to talk to unbelievers, I'd talk to more. Can I tell you there's no amount of training that will make you a powerful witness? Jesus never taught a preaching class to his disciples. And he never gave them a methodology. He never said, uh, when you start preaching, when you finally start the church, I'm going to give you the, the method. Here's how you're going to reach people. Here's your evangelistic strategy. You know what the evangelistic strategy was? Let's all gather together in a room and get so full of the Holy Spirit that we cause a ruckus. And a whole bunch of people gather to figure out what in the heck is happening up in there. I mean, the crowd that gathered on the day of Pentecost gathered because of 120 people got filled with the Spirit and started acting a fool. Now, I know that, you know, a lot of times we, 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 we become hesitant when the Holy Spirit starts moving. If somebody starts acting off the cuff, you know, we want to keep everything nice. And let me tell you something. When the Holy Spirit's moving, I don't care what the Holy Spirit does. If the Holy Spirit is really doing it, it can get wild. It can get crazy. It can go out. Of, it seems out of control to us. But if it's the Holy Spirit, I'm going to let it happen. Why? Because I'm not going to quench the Holy Spirit. This is his service. He can do what he wants to do. But when people start acting up in the flesh and it ain't the Spirit, because they're just trying to make a show. We're going to put the squash on that. <laughs> I long to see the Holy Spirit fall to the place where we can't contain what he does. To the place where we can't control it. We can't quantify it. To the place where it goes beyond our boundaries and, and spills over where we can't, we can't even govern it anymore. The Holy Spirit is governing it. You know, at, the, at the, the, the Azusa Street Revival in 1906, the Holy Spirit fell so powerfully that it couldn't be governed. The move of the Spirit couldn't be governed. I'm talking about people would get up to preach and they weren't invited to. <laughs> the spirit of God and there was nobody ever scheduled to preach the Holy Spirit would just fall sovereignly on somebody and they would get up and preach the word for that night and the power of God would fall I mean it was like it couldn't be quantified it couldn't be controlled when the real power of the Holy Spirit and here's the thing on the day of Pentecost the whole reason Peter had the opportunity to preach is because what the Holy Spirit did was so out of control that it gathered a crowd one of the greatest indictments against modern-day Christianity is that there's so little happening in the house of God that nobody takes notice. The world should be saying, what in the world is happening up in that little room on 45th and San Pablo? I mean, what in the world is happening in there? A crowd should be gathering in the parking lot to figure out what is going on up in there. Amen. Well, the Holy Spirit also gives wisdom. I was getting to that. So there's this guy in Acts chapter 6. His name was Stephen. And Stephen was a gangster for Jesus. Let me tell you how, how gangster Stephen was. You know what his evangelistic strategy was? He would go into the synagogue and preach Jesus. Let me tell you what, I mean, he would go into the Jewish synagogue. And stand up and preach Jesus. And he would read from the Torah like he was about to preach Moses. 
And then he would flip the script and preach Jesus and say, by the way, if you don't accept Jesus, you're going to hell. That was his event. Can you imagine? That's like going to the mosque down the street. Here's your evangelistic strategy. Going up in the mosque and stand up and say, Jesus is the son of God. You know what I mean? It's like, you see, you're trying to die. Is that your goal to die? But do you know what? That was Stephen's strategy. That was Paul's strategy. That was Barnabas' strategy. See, we've got all these things in our head about what we're supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do because our goal is not to cause trouble. I came to Emeryville to incite a riot. You hearing me today? I came to cause trouble. Now, I'm not talking about causing trouble in the flesh. One of the biggest problems we got is Christians that are just causing trouble with foolishness. But Stephen, he goes into the synagogue and he preaches Jesus. And of course, they stoned him. But it says there in Acts chapter 6, as he was preaching, the reason they stoned him is because they couldn't argue with him. Look at this. Acts 6.10 says, they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. They could not argue with him. They could not shut him down. He spoke with such wisdom that they couldn't respond. And so they finally said, let's kill him. The Holy Spirit brings wisdom. You know, when we talk about reaching people for Jesus, the first thing I hear people say is, we need more training. Is there a program on evangelism we could go to? Is there a Bible college class we could take? Is there a seminar that we could go to? How about the seminar of the Holy Spirit? Because there's nothing written that says Stephen went through any of that. He got filled with the Holy Spirit. And when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, it says he was filled with the spirit of wisdom and they couldn't resist it. You know what? God will give you wisdom that people can't resist. God will give you wisdom that people cannot refute. God will give you wisdom by the power of the Holy Spirit. And over and over and over again in the book of Acts, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, stood up among them and said. Then Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked into his eyes and said. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Then Barnabas, filled with the Holy Spirit. Then Stephen, filled with the Holy Spirit. The people who spoke, they spoke out of a fullness of the Holy Spirit and wherever they were, when the fullness of the Spirit came, they spoke and what they spoke could not be refuted. It comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you today that if you would begin to reach for more of God, that if you would make it your objective to be filled with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, God is going to change your life. He's going to rock your world. I'm telling you, the character of your Christianity is about to change. You're going to go beyond right doctrine. You're going to even go beyond right practice. You're going to go to right feelings, right affection, right passion. I'm talking about what we should feel every day is the fullness of the Holy Spirit. What we should feel every day is the fullness of the love of God. What we should feel every day is the power of God. Jesus said, you will be clothed with power from on high. We should be, when you're clothed, you feel your clothes. You should feel like you're clothed with power. You should feel the wisdom of God becoming, coming into your heart. You should feel the knowledge of God, the spirit of God, the revelation of God. You should feel it. God wants us to feel it. It's enough of this feeling free Christianity, enough of this dried out stuff, enough of this odorless, tasteless, colorless, powerless Christianity that does nothing for the world. You and I need to rise up and take our place and say, God, I will settle for nothing less than the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you hearing me this morning? Are you hearing me this morning? And if we would begin to press for that and reach for that, not just when we come to church, but every day. Every day, I remember when I was a little boy and my grandmother used to tell me, you need to ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And I started praying every day. And my grandmother would take me to the prayer chapel every day and make me pray for an hour. And in the beginning, I could only make it 10 minutes. 
And then I would just lose all of my focus. But for 10 minutes, oh, God, fill me with the Spirit. But I wouldn't feel anything. And so I would just start thinking about other things, video games, you know. And then, I, oh, I'm supposed to be praying. Oh, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. And then my, 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 you know, my attention would go in different directions. I'm telling you, you know, when you, when you begin to seek the presence of the Holy Spirit, the devil's going to attack you with discouragement and say, see, God doesn't want to give that to you. You're not holy enough. You're not righteous enough. See, you're not even a real Christian. You're a hypocrite. The two lies that the devil has spoken to the church is, number one, the people of the world don't want God, and number two, the people of the church don't want God. He'll convince you that you don't want it bad enough. He'll convince you that you're not holy enough or you're not righteous enough or, or, or you're not passionate enough for God. Let me tell you something. All of that is a lie to keep you from becoming passionate. All of that is a lie to keep you from actually seeking the face of God. I'm telling you, if you would press past discouragement, disillusionment, if you would press past doubt, if you'd press past all of that garbage of condemnation, shame, and fear, the devil would tell you you're not spiritual. Let me tell you something. God is no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter who you are. You know, the beginning of this year, God gave me a word that the least among us would lead people to Christ. And everybody looks at little Hal. Hal comes in here to the office, just graduated high school. You know, could barely, yeah. You know, you'd never look at Hal and go, powerful evangelist. But he comes in the other day. Yeah, so uh, I talked to my dad and he accepted Jesus. <laughs> How powerful is that? That's just mighty. Why? Because he just prayed and he believed. God is no respecter of persons. You're looking at other people saying, oh, they're more spiritual than I. Listen, let me tell you something. You are all sons and daughters of God. He loves you all the same, and he's, he wants to meet each and every one of us. We've got to get it out of our head that God respects some believers more than others. God is no respecter of persons. He does not distinguish between one man and another. If you would begin to seek the face of God every day, God, open my awareness of your presence Awaken me. Remove every hindrance in my mind and my heart to your manifest presence. I want to stand in your presence. I want, to un I want to encounter your glory. I want to encounter your power. I want to stand in your presence. I want to hear your words. I want to tremble at your word. As we begin to seek the presence of God, I'm telling you, he will come in greater and greater and greater ways. You know, in my daily time with, with God, every day, the objective is I don't stop until the Holy Spirit breaks through and I begin to feel the presence of God. In our services, I don't stop until I feel like people are breaking into the presence of God and beginning to feel the presence of God. I don't want you to stop. I don't want you to settle for less. I don't want you to allow the devil to convince you God doesn't want this for me. That's a lie. I want my daughter more than anything else to feel my presence, to feel my love. And you know what? I'm evil compared to God the Father. He wants you to feel his love more than I could ever desire my daughter to feel mine. He wants you to have his presence. And you know what? My daughter is nourished by my presence every day. And if there's a day when we're apart, where I'm not physically with her, where I'm out of town, my heart aches. My heart aches. I try to call her or Skype with her, but it just doesn't do the trick. I need to hold her in my arms. I need to get home and hold her in my arms. That's how the father feels about you. His heart aches if a day goes by when you don't feel his arms wrapped around you. His heart breaks when a day goes by when you don't feel his love and his presence. He doesn't want you to have a doctrinal relationship with him. He wants you to have a real one. He wants you to feel him. Yes. Let's bow our heads this morning. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to remove every hindrance.
Remove every hindrance of mind. Remove every hindrance of heart. Remove every hindrance. Remove every hindrance. Everything that would hinder us from entering into your manifest presence. Take it away right now in the name of Jesus. Remove every demonic hindrance. Every lie of the devil that would speak to our minds and say, God doesn't want to meet you. Every lie of the devil that says, well, you know, some people are just emotional people, but you're not. Some of you here, maybe the reason it's hard for you to actually feel the presence of God is maybe you never felt the love of your earthly present, your earthly parents. You're not used to that emotional sense of connection, and depth. I'm telling you, first of all, that the presence of God is more than an emotional reality. It will affect your emotions. When God's presence comes, you feel it even in your physical body. God's presence is able to overwhelm all of that without even you needing to go through years of therapy to get to the place where your heart opens to him. Your heart can open to him right now. And you can just I want you to just begin to say in your heart and mind, God, overwhelm all of that. Overwhelm it. Step over it. Lord, I ask you to step over my history. Step over my sense of disconnect from my earthly parents. Say, well, I don't know how to receive love. When the love of God comes, his love teaches you how to receive itself. Come right now, Father. Come right now. Open up our awareness. I pray that each and every person in this room right now would feel your presence. Lord, there are some in this room right now that have never felt your presence. I pray they'd begin to feel your presence right now. That each and every one in this room would feel your love, would feel your power. Awaken that desire in each and every heart. Let them begin to say in their hearts, Lord, I want to know your presence. Come. Hold me in your arms. Wrap me in your arms. Wrap me in your arms. Jesus, come. We want you right now. We want you right now. Father, come. I ask you. Holy Spirit, you want us to know you more than we want to know you. You want us to encounter you more than we want to encounter you. We want you tonight. We want you this morning. We want you, Lord. We want you, Lord. Let us begin to hear your desire for us. Open our ears so that we begin to hear your desire for us. Open our ears. Open our minds. Open our hearts. Come on, just begin to reach past the place that you're used to. Begin to reach past the place that you're used to. Jesus, Jesus, come right now. Come right now. Lord, there's some in this room that have never felt your presence. Some in this room that might not even be sure that you're real. But Lord, every human being desires to know you. And God, I pray that you begin to grant that desire right now. Jesus, open up our hearts. Open up our minds. Open up our awareness. Open up our awareness. Make us aware of your presence right now. Jesus, you are here. You inhabit the praises of your people. You are here. You are here. You are here. You are here. I pray for the fire of your Holy Spirit. I pray for the baptism of your Holy Spirit to fall on this house this morning. I pray for the immersion in the Holy Spirit. Immerse us. Jesus, you are the Spirit baptizer. You are the Savior. You are the King. You are the risen Lord. You are the Spirit baptizer. Baptize us this morning in the Spirit. Immerse us in your presence. Jesus, Jesus, come on, just begin to reach. Don't let your heart draw back this morning. Don't let your heart stop this morning. Don't let your heart disconnect. Make a decision. I will settle for nothing less than the fullness of God. 
I will settle for nothing less than the fullness of the Spirit of God. I will settle for nothing less than the overwhelming fullness of the presence of God. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. The reason you're so so susceptible to discouragement is because you feel empty every day. Because you don't feel the presence of God every day. I'm telling you, you begin to enter into the presence of God, depression can have no part of your life. You begin to enter into the presence of God, discouragement can have no part in your life. It's the presence of God. The presence of God is the answer. The presence of God is the answer. Open up our hearts. Open up our minds. Open up our minds. Father, let us make a decision this morning that we're going to pursue you until you come. That we're not going to stop. We're not going to stop. We're not going to stop. God, I'll never stop. I'll never stop. I will not relent until I have it all. I will not relent until I stand before your face. Even as Moses prayed, please show me your glory. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. Lord, we silence the voice of the enemy. We silence that voice of unbelief. We silence that voice of unbelief. We silence that voice of unbelief that says, I can't have it. Come on, I want you to pray with your mouth right now. I want you to open your mouth. I want you to talk to God out loud. Some of you have been asking God for the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues will not come if you're not speaking out loud. You speak and the Holy Spirit gives the utterance. If that's what you're asking Him for, ask Him for it out loud. God, give me the gift of tongues. Give me the ability to speak with tongues as the Holy Spirit gives utterance. Just begin to ask Him. Ask Him with your voice. This is not the time to meditate. This is not a time to think about the Lord. I want you to open your mouth this morning. Come on, begin to talk to God. Begin to talk out loud, out loud. Tell Him what you desire. Some of you still aren't opening your mouths. Come on, begin to talk to him. Begin to talk to him. Begin to talk to him. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Take us to another place, Lord. Take us to a higher place, Lord. A higher place in your presence, Lord. God, open up every heart. Open up every mind. Let your presence come. Let your presence come. We refuse to believe that you don't want to. We will not believe that you don't want to come. We refuse to believe it. You have not denied us. You will not deny us when we ask you for the Holy Spirit. We refute every lie of the devil that says you've denied us. We we refute those lies of the devil. We cast them down right now. Every lie of the devil that would say we're rejected. We are not rejected. We are accepted in the beloved. You will give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. You are willing to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask you. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Don't stop this morning. Make a decision today. Make a decision today. I'm not going to live in God's absence. I'm going to live in his presence. I'm not going to live empty. I'm going to live full. Come on. Stand up on your feet. Lift up your voices. Lift up your hands. Begin to talk to God today. Jesus, pour out your spirit. Pour out your spirit, Lord. Pour out. Pour out your fire, Lord.